If you have a Bible, I encourage you to take that out now. We're going to be at 2 Timothy chapter 2. My name is Mike. I have the pleasure of sharing the Word of God with you here today. I want to welcome any first-time guests that may be joining us. We're glad you're here. Hopefully we got you a welcome bag on the way in. Welcome to everybody who may be joining us via the live stream. 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would please stand as we hear from the Lord. We read from the ESV here at Living Water, and the Word of God says this. We're going to cover the first 13 verses of 2 Timothy 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The boundless word of God. You may be seated. Let me just remind you of the context in which those words were penned. They come from the Apostle Paul, who is currently incarcerated as he writes this. His pen in hand, hands in chains, as he's bound as a criminal. He's the older uh, spiritual father. He's the father figure in this relationship here with Timothy. And Paul is nearing the end of his life. He knows this. His time is almost up. And we believe this is the last letter, this is the last known letter that he has written. Because history tells us that in a short while, uh, his head will be severed from his body as he will be decapitated. That is the human author here. So who's the recipient? A young man in the city of Ephesus. He's a pastor. His name's Timothy. And Timothy's really going through it. He, he's, he's struggling. And ministry, it's taken its toll upon him. It appears he's timid. He's fearful. Perhaps he's ashamed a bit of Paul and his imprisonment, or even ashamed of the gospel. We have these hints in Scripture. So Timothy is close to the edge. 
he's about ready to just throw up his hands, throw in the towel, and bag it all. Close the church doors and walk away from the ministry. That's the context of those words that I just read to you. So I have for us today six certainties contained in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the first 13 verses. First one, we have the call. We have the call here. We see this in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul says, be strengthened. That's the call. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, be strong. He says, be strengthened. And there is a difference there. Paul's message is not, Timothy, you got this, man. It's just look deep down inside. The power that you need to endure is within you. You just got to reach down, muster that strength, bring it up. You can do it. Man up and look within and tap into that power source within you. That's not what he says. He doesn't come with a message like, you're good enough, you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. <laughs> that may be Stuart Smalley's message from Saturday Night Live, in case you don't get the reference. That's not Paul's message. Because Timothy does not possess those things in and of himself. And neither do you and I, dear Christian. Those come from outside of us. The grace found in Christ Jesus. See, the, the notion that you are enough, th this phrase gets thrown out there in evangelicalism. You are enough is thoroughly unbiblical. You're not enough. But that, that finds its way into the church and it has to go. See, the Bible labors to convince us of one thing. It's to get our eyes off of ourselves who are incapable and onto a God who is capable. That's the message. The Bible is laboring this point. We just don't seem to get it. And that's what Paul's saying here. Be strengthened, not from within, but from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's not in you. It's in Him. And when we think about grace, we, we tend to think about saving grace, right? We're saved by grace through faith. Amen. Amen. That is true. But, but sometimes we have a truncated understanding of grace. It's not just how you get in the game. It's how you stay in the game. Something called enabling grace. See, saving grace puts you in a right relationship with God initially. But then enabling grace empowers you to live for God continually. If you ever hear Christians talking and somebody will say, I don't know how you made it through that, that horrible ordeal. And the other person says, it's the grace of God. That's what they're talking about here. Enabling grace. So if this is a power source that's available to us, how do we tap into it? How do we access it? Ironically, you get the power through weakness. It's a crazy paradox. Check out 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's what it says there. He, that's the Lord, said to me, that's Paul, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And here's the crazy paradox. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We supply the weakness. God supplies the strength. And it's those who recognize their own inability are the ones who are most able. See, God says He opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And that's what we need. Saving grace and enabling grace found in Christ Jesus. So that's the call. Next we have what I'm calling the continuation. The continuation here in the text. Verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul's saying here, he's saying, Timothy, you're part of a living chain. Right? This isn't all about you. I poured into you, I taught you, Paul says, and now you are to teach others who can then teach others still. You see the, the progression there? See the chain? He's saying, don't be the missing link. It, it can't end with you. You've got to pass the message on. That's the continuation. It reminds me of just a few weeks ago, we um, said goodbye to uh, uh, the Chen family, a beloved family here at the church, and we, we helped them move, and we needed some hands to do that. And so I asked you guys, and you guys delivered. We had so many people there for this, for this move. You know what we did? We, we formed a chain, right? Sometimes you don't have a lot of hands, and it's up and down the stairs you go, which I don't mind because it's good exercise, you know, you're, you're doing a good work. But we had so many people there, and if you were there that day, you know, we set up a chain uh, from the upstairs, really, all the way down the stairs uh, to the pod in the driveway. And this is what it was like. Boxes moving. Take a box, hand it to the next person. That's all it was. And we had that done in no time. Now, what if somebody in that chain there gets a box and sets it at their feet? Gets another box. Just start stacking them, hanging out on the boxes. We're going to be like, hey, um, you're not understanding the process here. The job is those boxes have to get to their destination. It's not with you. It's into the pod in the driveway. And it's the same with the gospel. The message proceeds from the mouth of God. It's God breathed. We're going to see that in the next chapter. And he says, you take my message and you pass it on. You keep the chain going until every ear has heard. You, Timothy, you living water, you're not the end user. Okay? I'm the guy who sends you those videos on Monday morning, the Monday morning motivation. You know, let me explain the, the philosophy behind that. This is a wonderful opportunity for me to share this. 
I want you to watch the video, but you're really not the end user. You, you know what the goal is? You watch it, and if you think it's of some value, it's a good box, pass it on. YouTube provides this button. It's like the share button. It's really handy. You just hit share, and you, you send it to somebody and say, hey, I watched this video. thought you might appreciate it. See, that's the passing on. That's the link in the chain. Pastor Mike talked about this last week. He gave you the front end of the chain. Who do you talk about? People in, in high school, in college, in seminary who poured into him. They handed him some boxes. And I can tell you this. He didn't set them at his feet and just stack them up and lean on them. He said, here you go, Larry Colbert. Here you go, Ben Bechtel. Here you go, Mike Bongo. And Pastor Larry and Pastor Ben Bechtel and me, we're actively looking for people to pass it on to them, and then they will pass it on to others. That's the chain here. So here's the question for you. Has anybody passed you a box? You got any boxes? Are you holding on to them? Or are you passing them on? That's the continuation found in verse 2. Next we have the commitment. The commitment. Verse 3 and following here. It says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Paul is going back to chapter 1, verse 8, talking about sharing in suffering. He's saying, you need to be committed to this. You, you need to be committed. You need to, to have uh, discipline. And you, know, you need to know this ministry, ministry in general, involves suffering. Embrace it. Share in it. Because it's part of it. And he gives us three examples. He gives us the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. He said, a good soldier is single-minded. Single-minded. He cannot get caught up in what Paul calls civilian affairs. Right? You have a job to do as a soldier, and you can't get entangled by other things that are going to take you away from the mission. That's what entangled carries the notion of just... You're losing focus, right? You're, you're caught up in something that is not of the mission, essential to what the soldier's job, that whatever he's been given. He must focus there and not be distracted. And that's the good soldier has a single-minded devotion to do what? To please the one who enlisted him. That's his aim. So if you've been in the military, I have not... Uh, Despite the haircut, all right, don't let the haircut fool you. I have not served. I'm grateful for those who have because I get to stand up and do this sort of thing uh, and the freedoms that I enjoy every day. So thank you to those of you who have served. But if you're, if you're a soldier and your commanding officer comes to you and he says, listen, take up a position and I want you to watch that hill right there. That, that is your job Keep an eye on that hill because if the enemy attacks, that's where they're going to come from. Okay, That is your mission. You see an enemy approaching, you sound the horn, blow the trumpet, alert the troops so that we don't get ambushed. That's your job, soldier. And you man your post, you watch the hill 
for a little while, but it's kind of boring. And you start to admire the scenery. And you're looking around, and you're like, ooh, look at the, the foliage at this time of year. You're distracted. You're not watching that hill. Or you decide, I, I think I'll just abandon my post. I'll go on a nature hike. I'll go on a walk. Take in the sights of God's good creation. Nothing wrong with sightseeing, nature, walks, but those are civilian affairs. That's what civilians do. And it's okay if you're a civilian, but you're not. You're a soldier and you were given a job to do. And you're not doing it. You're out picking flowers, going into town, setting up a florist shop, a little side hustle, when you're supposed to be watching that hill. You got entangled. And your commanding officer, the one who enlisted you, is not going to be pleased when the troops get ambushed because you didn't blow the horn when the enemy approached. You're enlisted as a soldier. That's you and I. We are soldiers in this, enlisted in God's army by the Lord Jesus himself. And our aim should be to please him and not get caught up in some other things that Paul's calling here civilian affairs. Second example of commitment he gives of the athlete here. He says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. See, not only are we soldiers in the army of God, we're, we're athletes competing for a crown. There's an objective on the battlefield, but there's an objective, objective in the uh, athletic arena as well. And the objective there is to win. The goal is to win. Run to win. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says this, Do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. We run to win. Reminds me of uh, a former Philadelphia Eagle. Uh, his name's Herm Edwards. He coached the New York Jets. And about 20 years ago, he gave us this gem of a soundbite. Came from a post-game press conference, and he just goes off. It's about a minute long. I want to show it to you now. Go ahead, Richard. We'll get some audio. You might want to back it up once we get the audio. He's saying, he's saying really good stuff right now. Can you restart it? There we go. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. That's the great thing about sports. You play to win. And I don't care if you don't have any wins. You go play to win. When you start telling me it doesn't matter, then retire. Get out. Because it matters that you have an opportunity in your lifetime to be a professional, that you think about quitting. See, you don't quit in, 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 you don't quit in sports. You retire. You don't get to quit. You don't get that option. Now, you can retire. You can do that. But you ain't quit. You ain't doing that. Not on my watch. I love it. I'm ready to run through a wall for that guy. 
But in many ways, that's Paul's message to Timothy. Very similar. And by extension, you and me. Right? You play to win the game. Let me, let me tweak Herm Edwards' words there slightly. You have an opportunity to be a Christian, and you're thinking about quitting? So you don't quit in Christianity. You retire. And that's when Jesus calls you home. You don't even get to make that decision. He makes that one for you. But that's your retirement. But you don't get to quit. You don't get that option. You can retire. You could do that. But you ain't quitting. Not on my watch. And I think Paul's saying the same thing. Timothy, not on my watch. I'm languishing here in prison. And you, Timothy, thinking about quitting? Uh-uh. You run the race the way I'm running the race. Not on my watch. Give me a pen because I'm about to write 2 Timothy. All right? Before I enter into my retirement. I think Paul's saying that. He's saying be committed just like an athlete. And you win the prize. You don't win the prize unless you compete according to the rules. Unless you're the New England Patriots or the Houston Astros. <laughs> Deflate gate? Cameras? Banging trash cans and nipple buzzers. All right, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Don't Google it now. You know, you know you're going to Google this later. Like, what was he talking about? It's true. It's true. Compete according to the rules. And I said nipple buzzers in a sermon, okay? <laughs> Pastor Mike... You gotta come crazier than that, bro. <laughs> let's 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 bring it back. Let's carefully define what is a win in Christianity. What is a win? What's the prize? What's the crown? Is it to be a better Christian than the person sitting next to you? Is that your competition? Is, is a win just amassing possessions? Some kind of prosperity gospel. The more faithful I am to God, the more stuff He's going to give me, and the one who dies with the most toys wins. Is that the win? Is it about making a name for yourself? You know, being some super Christian. You got to plant a church. You got to lead a ministry. You got to write a book. You got to be a sought after speaker. Is that a win? It's none of them. I already gave you the win. Paul gave us the win. It's pleasing the one who enlisted us. It's pleasing the Lord Jesus. It's hearing those words as you enter into retirement. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And I thought about that phrase. We've quoted it a couple times now in Timothy because it's applicable. I don't know how those words get uttered. I want to hear them. But I don't think they come at arm's length. I think those words come... You know, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm speculating, uh, you know, confessing that. I think they come in an embrace. I think it's whispered in your ear as Jesus hugs you. I don't, I, I have no chapter and verse for that. I'm hoping that's what it is. That's what I want to hear. I hope you want to hear that. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So many people want to do great things for God. 
You want to do that? Go for it, man. You want to do big things? You got big plans? Man, if the Lord's with you, go for it, man. Do that, all right? But what I'm seeing here in my life and what I see in the Scriptures, you know what it's called for? Faithfulness. Be faithful. Just be faithful to what God has given you. You have a ministry. You are a ministry. We said that in the lobby. It was said to me, yeah, Mike, you're in ministry. We're all in ministry. Amen, I said. You are a ministry. And here's a phrase for you. Bloom where you're planted. Where does God have you? Does he got you in a workplace where you have influence and you can talk to people? That Bloom there. You're, you're, you're on staff at Living Water Community Church as the outreach director. You get to preach the word of God. Bloom. That's all I'm trying to do is bloom where I'm planted and be faithful to the end. That's the W in Christianity. Kind of like what one, one preacher said this, and I was like, man, I agree. Uh, you know what I want to do? I want to preach my own funeral than climb in the casket. <laughs> Just be like, so long, suckers, and <laughs> close it in. That's what I want to do. Just right to the end. Right to the end. Last example he gives us of commitment is that of a farmer. Verse 6. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. He says hard-working farmer here, and, and if I could ask Paul a question, I would ask him this. Is there any other kind? I mean, it seems redundant to me. A lazy farmer is a dead farmer, <laughs> right? It's, they've all died out, those folks. It's like sort of a natural selection kind of affair, right? You are hard-working, right? You're, you're up with the rooster, working all day long, you know, tending the, to the animals, working the land. You don't do that, you don't eat, right? So you've got to be working. In the heat of the day, sweating, toiling, laboring. That's a farmer. i got great respect for farmers. They can't call in sick because they got a tummy ache, right? they got a job to do. I love farmers. If I had to slaughter a cow for my steak, I would join my wife as a vegan, right? I don't know that I could do it. I eat what she eats, like rice and beans on a stalk of romaine lettuce. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm cutting into a steak while she's eating that. Praise God for farmers. Praise God for, for cows. He made them out of steak, man. Listen, listen, I thought about this. I thought about the farmer and, and, and kind of juxtaposed what a farmer does and what I do. I kind of compared the two, right? Ministry has its challenges, yes. And I will talk about that in a little bit. But here at the church, my office is right beyond that uh, metal door there. And I see I left my light on in, in my office, right? That's where I sit. It's air conditioned. It's very comfy. Living water has given me a plush chair to sit in. I sit in there sipping coffee with my two big screen monitors, my command center, right? Typing away on my little keyboard. And you know one of the challenges I face? Sometimes it gets a little too cold in there for me. <laughs> I, I, I get like these little, little goosebumps on my arm and my little hairs aren't enough to keep me warm. And I have to go get a sweatshirt. Thank you for the awe. 
my sarcasm sometimes gets lost on people. <laughs> Not her. Thank you. This past Wednesday, Pastor Mike comes in my office. He says, hey, I'm buying lunch for everybody at Franco's. What do you want? I mean, like, what a tough life I have. But you know, I didn't even, I didn't even partake. You know why? I, I had a prior engagement. I had a lunch appointment with Gary Hall, who takes me over to Gilligan's. Uh, he's doing this for like a decade now. I haven't paid for a single lunch. And that afternoon, while everybody else is eating pizza, I'm eating broiled haddock on a Wednesday at one o'clock. What did you have for lunch on Wednesday? You know, it's pretty good life, right? Now compare that with the farmer, all right? The farmer, he's up at 4 a.m., milking the cows so that he can have some milk for his cereal. You know, out there working on the roof of his barn in the middle of July in the sweltering heat. You know, he's got to kill a chicken so he can have dinner. I go to Chick-fil-A, y'all, okay? They fillet my chicken there for me. Then they tell me how much of a pleasure it is to serve me. This is my life. And I need to remember these things when I start whining about ministry. Before we get to verse 7, um, allow me to share a sidebar here. Um, there, there's a widely known statistic, and it's this. It pertains to church attendance, very relevant for us here today. And the statistic for a number of years has, has shown that, that women are attending church more than men. Women are leading the way in coming to church and serving in the church. And Living Water is no different. I ran some numbers. On the books here, we have 345 members. 203 are female. 142 are male. And I've heard from men who don't get involved in the life of the church because they think coming to church is like soft, it's sentimental, you know, it's, it's sappy, you know, and I've heard people, you know, say things like, well, I come to church, sing songs to Jesus like he's my boyfriend or something. I've heard that kind of stuff. And I've read articles where they're like, you know, it's every, there's flowers everywhere, very feminine, the, the walls are, are pastel, right? The problem is not with the walls. The problem is with these men. They're not understanding 2 Timothy 2. They either haven't read it or they don't understand it. Christianity is a war. And if you say you're a Christian, and many of these men do, I just don't go to church. You're, you're in a war. You're a soldier, right? You're called into that. You've been enlisted, but you're not involved in the life of the church. So you're not pleasing your commanding officer. The one you say you follow. Christianity is a race. Paul uses this imagery throughout the New Testament. And you train like an athlete to win. But you're losing. Because you're not competing according to the rules. You're forsaking the assembling of the saints. You're called to come here. You're called to serve. It's hard work like a farmer. But you're being lazy by not coming here and doing those things, setting an example for your family, leading them. And these men may find out in the end 
These men may find out in the end that the commitment that they say they have is really no commitment at all. You know, and I know that may upset some people, but I'll tell you this, I have zero fear that I'm going to get punched in the mouth after this sermon. You know why? The men who need to hear that aren't here to do that. I have no fear. The wives are here. Where are the husbands? It would be a strange way to show your commitment to Jesus by punching the preacher in the mouth. Let me just say that. I think that would support my argument. And I need it. I could throw some hands if I need to. No, I would not. Let me just, let me, let's move on. <laughs> All right. Verse 7. Let's move on to the contemplation. All right, the contemplation. Verse 7. Paul says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. To contemplate, to think over, to ponder, to, to reflect upon. We ought to do that. Every time you read your Bible or you hear a sermon, don't just let it go in one ear and out the other and on to the next thing. Sit there. Stay there. Contemplate it. What's being communicated to me? And ask yourself some questions. Am I passing the truth of God onto someone else? Or do I got boxes piled at my feet? Uh, am I a single-minded soldier with, you know, uh, or do I have allegiances that are divided? If so, where? Am I walking out this Christian walk like an athlete training to win? Or am I even in the game? Do I work hard like a farmer? Or am I lacking commitment, dedication, and devotion? Good questions. Contemplate. Think on these things. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Let me stop right there. That is the crux of this text, and that is the crux of every text. Jesus Christ. That's why I say the, the certainty here is the Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Why would the Apostle Paul have to tell another pastor, remember Jesus Christ? Well, here's why. Because when we're suffering and we're struggling, one of two things usually happens. We either look inwardly and we have a woe is me attitude. You know, I just can't catch a break. You know, my life just doesn't go the way I want it to. World's against me. And you throw a pity party for yourself. Paul's not telling you look inward. Some people look outward and they project and they blame other people. and they, All the people that are causing my life to be a difficulty, it's them they're the problem, they need to change, they need to do this, they need to do that, and they need to stop being such a pain. And the focus is outward. Paul's not telling you to look in either place. He says, look upward. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. I cut it short, let me read it. Risen from the dead, that's a declaration of his deity. The offspring of David, a declaration of his humanity, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. And you know Paul wrote it like that. There's a crescendo there. I am suffering 
Bound with chains as a criminal. But the Word of God is not bound. You know, I'm making the mic crackle up here. Am I doing something wrong? Okay. This Pastor Mike knows a lot of stuff, so I don't listen. To All right. All right, I think we're good. All right, so where are we? Verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know, I joked earlier about ministry being kind of easy. I, I was being facetious there because ministry is hard and there are challenges, certainly. Yes, amidst the air-conditioned office, there is, okay? And you know why? And, and, I, and I tell Grace this all the time. I tell myself, I tell Betsy, the people I work with, we're in the people business. We are. We're not making widgets here. We are in the people business doing ministry in a fallen world, a fallen world filled with fallen people doing fallen things. And those are the people we're called to minister to. And people are difficult. Church people are difficult. Living water people can be difficult. Not you guys. The, you know, it's the 11 a.m. service. It's them. And you know I'm flipping that at the 11 a.m. No, people as a whole are difficult. I'm difficult. I'm a person. Right? We're difficult. And when I get frustrated with people, whether it's in ministry or it's in my personal life, I try to. I don't always do it. I try to remember Jesus Christ. And you know what I remember? I remember and I love when this happens. You, you know, you're reading through the Gospels and you, you see Jesus just kind of getting frustrated with people, right? He's, he's annoyed. I'm not saying he's sinning. It's like a godly frustration or a godly annoyance. But he's just, I see him just kind of rubbing his brow. He's like, how much longer must I endure, you guys? Why are you still lacking in understanding? Philip, Philip, why do you keep saying, show us the Father? How long have I been with you, Philip? Right? You've seen me, you've seen the Father. I think there's a godly frustration there. And it reminds me, Jesus, fully human. Again, not sinning, but he's like us, operating in a fallen world, and he's in the people business. That's ministry. And he did it perfectly. So we need to look to Jesus Christ. Remember him as our model and our example. Remember Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. That's 1 Peter chapter 2. Remember Jesus Christ who died a sacrificial death. And he bore our sins in his body on the cross. And God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Romans 8. Remember His resurrection, where He abolished death forever and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. That was last week. Remember Him when you're tempted to sin. Again, fully human. Tempted as we are, yet without sin. So He can sympathize when we are being tempted. Hebrews 2. And when you've fallen into sin, again, Christians don't jump into it. We fall into sin. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. 1 John 2. 
When you're discouraged, remember Jesus Christ who said in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16. Remember Jesus Christ. The perfect soldier. What did He say? I came down from heaven not to do My will, but the will of Him who sent Me. A single-minded laser focus. Jesus Christ, the greatest athlete who ran the race perfectly and ran to win. Remember Jesus Christ, the hard-working farmer who sowed the seed. He worked the soil and He is the Lord of the harvest. Remember Jesus Christ. This sermon is about Him. And He said, He said, heaven and earth will, will pass away, but My words will not pass away. And that's Paul saying here, I'm in chains, but the Word of God isn't. The Word of God isn't. It's not bound in any way. We need to preach the Word in and out of season. That's coming later in 2 Timothy. Because God's Word is not going to fail. It doesn't return void. It accomplishes everything God wants it to accomplish. Our job is to unleash it somehow, some way, and do it faithfully and enduringly till the end. That's our job. Why? Verse 10. Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You ever wonder why Jesus hasn't returned yet? Because the, the work isn't done yet. The job's not done. God is still saving people. He's bringing more into the fold and He's saving them for His eternal glory. He says, I want my house to be full. And you know God's chosen means to do it? He could do it all by Himself. He certainly doesn't need us. But He's chosen to use us. You and me. And that's the calling we have. And we can't give up. And if you are His, you will endure to the end. You will. And that's what this last section is about. Verses 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And this is our last certainty that I'm calling the conditions. These are the conditions. Those are conditional statements. If this, then that. And you'll notice in your Bible, the way it's arranged, uh, it's, it's kind of indented there. It's, it's, it's arranged differently in there. And that, that's most likely because this was an early Christian hymn. They would sing this in the early church. So let, let's break some of this down here real quick and then we'll conclude. If we died with him, what sort of death here does, does Paul have in mind? I think it's a Romans 6 verse 8 sort of death. The death we died at our conversion, a death to self, say, I'm done with me. I want Jesus. And you give your life to him. What does Romans 6 verse 8 say? Virtually the same thing. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. That second part there is word for word with the conditional statement that we're looking at. Some people believe there the death there, they think it's a future death. 
uh, martyrdom is in view there. There's, there's some validity to that interpretation. Some people hold that. I'm not a Greek person. Don't, don't get it twisted. But like it's in the aorist tense. So I don't think it's a future thing. I think it's a past thing. And I think that's what he's talking about. A death to self that we die when we come to Christ. And he says that believer will live with Christ. What does he mean by that? Well, that is in a future tense there. And I think what he means is, you know, Paul's saying, Timothy, you're struggling. I know this, all right? But even if you die, if things get so bad, I mean, the worst is you just die in the midst of the struggle, you will live with Jesus Christ forever. That, that's his promise. That's his encouragement to young Timothy. And this fits with Pauline theology. This is, Paul says this. He says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. It's gain. It's better. It's far better to go be with him. And remember where Paul is. He's in prison. He's about to have his head severed. They may be able to separate his head from his body, but they cannot separate him from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, his Lord. That's the promise. But he's not done. He's got another promise. Verse 12, the beginning part here. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Endurance, perseverance, is what this whole section is all about. If we endure, we will reign with him. Future tense. Again, I think what's in view here is heaven. Heaven is what's going on here. Timothy, Ephesus is not your home. Living water, Harrisburg is not your home. Or Mechanicsburg or Camp Hill or Hershey is not your home. You have a heavenly home. So press on through the struggle that is this life, because that home awaits you. Then the tone switches here at the second half of verse 12. This is challenging. If we deny him, he also will deny us. I think the denial here goes well beyond what we've seen here in the scriptures with Peter. Right? A temporary, you know, a bad night. You know, Peter has a bad night you know, denial three times, and then what? Goes out and weeps bitterly. That's not who he's talking about here. This is an obstinate and permanent denial to the end. It's shaking your fist at God right to your last breath. And you deny him, he's going to deny you. Jesus himself said it. These words may sound familiar to you. Whoever denies me before men, Matthew 10, 33, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We have that on the strength of Jesus' words there. But in verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, there's different interpretations here too. Some people see this as a threat. They, they, they take this kind of negative, and they would argue for a parallelism between this and the previous verse, the denial. And they say, if we are faithless, he remains faithful to mete out judgment. Some people hold this view, right? Good Bible teachers hold this view. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, I think that there's two acceptable interpretations here. The, there's, a, there's another way to take it that's more positive. If believers fall short in the, in the area of faith and, and being faithless, God will remain true to his character and he will stay with them and they will endure. He'll remain faithful to them despite their faithlessness. 
He began a good work in you. He's going to complete it. Two ways to take it. Uh, There's merit to both of them. But whatever the interpretation, let us not lose sight of the main point here, which is endurance and faithfulness to Christ in the face of struggles will always result in reward. And lack of endurance and faithfulness, you know, faithlessness really to Christ in the midst of struggles will result in a loss of reward. Everybody would agree with that. So as we conclude, what undergirds all of this? Really every text of Scripture, the character of God. It's the, it's the divine author. It's who's, who's speaking this out. It's God. See, in the midst of all these things for Timothy and you and I to consider, remember Jesus Christ. Is he not sovereign? Is he in control? Or is this world just spinning out of control and God is powerless to do anything about it? I hope that's not your view. We sometimes act like that out there on social media as we think, you know, there's nobody home. You know, it's just it's up to us to fix the world. No, God, God's still on the throne, despite how crazy things get. He is. We need that reminder. And it includes a global thing. He's in charge of all of it across the globe, but he's also in charge of whatever it is that you're going through right now. He's not oblivious to it. He knows your struggles. He knows what's what's going on. And he loves you and he cares. And he's working things out for your good and his glory. Your job is to remain faithful. Don't, don't throw in the towel. It's not all up to you. Remember Jesus Christ. Look to him as the source for your strength as you struggle through this life. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we know you cannot lie. We can stand on this truth. We, 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 this is where we need to stand. I can't even trust my own thoughts. I can't trust other people, but I know I can trust you and what you say. And, and this is a very encouraging text. I hope people take it as such. Yes, some challenges. You know, throw, The word of God is always challenging to us, Lord, but uh, this, is, this is a great pillow on which to rest our heads. Lord, thank you for 2 Timothy, this section of Scripture. All of Scripture comes from you. We thank you. And what a privilege it is to stand up and speak it, Lord. Thank you for putting me in a position to do so. Lord, I pray for us that we will, we will not leave this place and then walk out of here and forget all that we heard and all week just wring our hands over what's going on in the world and what's going on in our lives that we would look to you, that we would look to you, the sovereign one, the one in control, the one who cares, the one who loves. Remember Jesus Christ. And I bring this prayer through him, through his name. There's where the power is. Lord, as we collect this offering, Lord, I thank you for the faithful men and women who give and allow us to do ministry here. We need these funds, and people are so faithful to give. This is such a generous church, Lord, and you deserve the praise for that. You've worked that into us as a body, and I'm so grateful. So I I pray for the offering. uh, The people will know that we take stewardship seriously here. Uh, We're careful in our spending, and that we want to do one thing. We want to please the one who enlisted us with these funds as with all things in our lives. 
Lord, we give this balance of the service to you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.